It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. He's got questions. He's got answers. We'll see if we can get through them. Lots of security news, too, including Patch Tuesday notes. It's all coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 434, recorded December 11th, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 179. Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite.com. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files to the cloud automatically and continually. Plus, access your files anytime, anywhere with a free app. Start your free trial right now at Carbonite.com. No credit card required. Just use the offer code SECURITYNOW and you'll get two bonus months with purchase. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it ought to be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN20. And by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to upgrade your IT skills or prepare for certification? IT Pro TV offers engaging and informative tutorials streamed to your Roku, computer, or mobile device. For 50% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the code SN50. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you, your loved ones, and your privacy online with the man, the myth, the legend, James Tiberius Gibson. No, wait a minute. That's, I'm confusing you James, with Captain Kirk. James Caffeinated Gibson. <laughs> Steve Caffeinated Gibson. Well, wait, hey, everybody take a, take a drink of, of caffeinated coffee. Mm. Hi, Steve. I guess we're getting a little close to the holidays here. Happy holidays to you. Yeah, it's been cold. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, really cold. But, winter in Irvine. You know. Of course, you and I are pussies because it's like it's like fifty degrees. Oh my god! I'm freezing, you know, and it's negative something. Fahrenheit. Sorry, yeah. You should be in Minnesota right now, where it's the wind chill is minus twenty seven. Uh, so, the, the 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 fates have sort of been good to us because the, this week did not overload us with stuff to talk about. Like is to say, we actually have time for some Q and A. So. I'm not sure how much, but we'll certainly give our audience a great uh, probably two hours as if we go the way we have been lately or nearly that, 100 minutes or so of podcast full of interesting stuff and feedback from our customers. <laughs> We've got a Patch Tuesday for Microsoft and Adobe. We've got a new release of Firefox. The NSA was found in another drop of Snowden's never-ending dribble of slides to be apparently using Google's own cookies to track users. So we'll talk about that. There was a major um, botnet control center discovered with 2 million passwords, which gave us an additional look into the passwords people are using. Uh, FreeBSD, which is the Unix of, that I use, uh, has decided to stop trusting hardware random number generators that have recently appeared in chips for you know, for reasons of the NSA, a French certificate authority was found to have issued an intermediate uh, certificate 
that was being abused. Whoops. A bunch of miscellaneous stuff and Q&A. So I think a great podcast today. Busy, 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 Mr. Gibson. Uh, (laughs) Okay. If you take a drink, I have to take a drink. Mm. (laughs) Mm. And I've been putting this together since 5 a.m. Holy cow. Work on the podcast. So six hours of production. We are very grateful for the work you do. By the way, you've inspired us uh, because of the transcriptions you get uh, done for uh, Elaine. We've decided to do transcriptions of many of our other podcasts. Um, because they're, because it's just a great way to kind of find stuff in the podcast. It oh, helps with searchability. I've used it all the time. I, I'll Google something because that I know you mentioned because it will pull up a transcript and then it'll pull me right to that part of the podcast. Yeah. It's a really great way to do that. So thank you for inspiring that. And we'll have more information on that uh, later today on our Inside Twitch show. Um, which reminds me, uh, somebody has very kindly offered to, and I know you probably have it in the notes a little later on, but I just want to mention this. Yeah, we should now because I don't say much more than that. But go ahead. Bob Noble yep. uh, is launching a product project about early next year. Uh, he wants to um, – the series has been flagged for translation into, get this, sign language by IndieUnite.com. That's a free service provided by One Billion Hex, <laughs> which is a great name for something. Uh, there is a concept uh, demo on YouTube. Uh, but it, it's very rough, and it doesn't include the actual sign language yet. So um, the, the the rigging and the animation of the sign language, they don't use human hands. They use animation. Uh, it's huh. time-consuming. So he's working on a way to get this done. Um, so they would take the audio podcasts, and I think he said starting from number one, and and they felt because it was represented such a repository of knowledge that it ought to be available to to people who could not hear them. He's going to animate each episode wow. from scratch. So instead of using picture-in-picture, picture, um, it sounds like a lot of work. Anyway, uh, Bob, thank you. Uh, it is a great uh, project. The guy was an IT guy, and um, he said, uh, nine years ago I tried to incorporate some art and acting into my work. He's always been an advocate of accessibility. So he started by doing talking books for the blind. He got a degree in performing arts with an emphasis on voice acting. Uh, some health uh, problems got him in a wheelchair, unfortunately, um, and uh, he became the chief of a small or the chair—that's uh, a good name—the chair of a small charity, dedicating to helping indies and organizations better themselves through media and content publishing. Trust- and he mentioned that because we have Creative Commons copyright license, this, right. this kind of reuse we is permissible. This is yeah. for not our license. And somebody else asked me if he could uh, rebroadcast our show. I said yes. Uh, just look at the bottom of every page on twit.tv for our Creative Commons license. Shorthand for it, it's at non-commercial, free for non-commercial use. Um, you must give us attribution, and you must uh, reshare anything you do uh, in the same license. Share alike, it's called. Uh, that way, somebody can't take uh, this, put sign language on it, charge for it, or you know, put a paywall behind or whatever. And I think that's really, really great. Anyway, Bob, thank you. We really uh, appreciate it. Uh, one billion hex. He, that's his uh, handle on SoundCloud.com. He also has a, a CD Baby Showlink.in slash Bob. So he does music too. Really neat guy, Bob. We'll be uh, in closer touch. But uh, a heads up, look for that uh, coming, and we'll talk about it when it comes out uh, coming in next year. And we ought to mention funny. also, we do, talked about this before we be- began the podcast, Leo. That I spent the weekend assembling the special holiday Ooh, episode. Ooh, baby. <laughs> I'm excited. 
And for whatever reason, well, for, first of all, I mean, it was a big deal for me 15 years ago when you and I met for the first time. Big deal for and me. I have it on tape. Wow. I, uh, it was June 17th of 1998, oh 15 God. years ago. Um, my hair was dark. and, uh, and My stomach uh, was small. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's so we'll, we'll call these our time capsule episodes because I took three episodes, the very first three that I had, um, June 17th of 98, and then um, a little bit later, uh, actually December of 99, Oh, and we were talking about the click of death back then with the iOmega Zip mm-hmm, and Jazz drives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then in December, uh, about this time in 99, uh, your co-host, Kate Patello, discovered Shields Up. Nobody, I had just put it up on the net, just created it, and she was over there looking for Spinrite, and she said, what's this? <laughs> and it turns out that I knew her name and saw her hard drive and, like, she was completely exposed, and I mean, which was what happened to everybody in the beginning because everyone's hard drives were out on the internet, right. which is what prompted me to create Seal Shields Up. So, so that episode is her showing it to you because nobody knew about it. And you're like, wait, our Steve did this? Gibson? And she says, yeah. And, uh, and then uh, a little bit later, March 3rd of, of 2000, uh, I was on on your call for help show and demonstrating it, and we were talking about personal firewalls, which no one really knew about. No one had them, and I made the prediction back then that someday personal computers were going to have them built in because they were so important. And it was like, really, you think so? It's like, yeah, I, I think so. So anyway, fun commercials from back then. Anyway, it's an hour where wow. I just chipped, I I, ch- I I clipped out like the goods parts and some stuff were kind of dumb. But there's like a newscaster predicting that someday hand in that Nokia has made a prediction that someday handheld phones may be connected to the Internet. It's like, Ooh. oh, my God. Ooh. So I think everyone's going to get a kick out of it. I can't wait. That is a lot of fun. All right. Well, we're going to we have lots to do today. It's a busy day. We've got a Q&A yep. first time in a month. Um, and, and of course, that Chris—I should mention—that show will air on Christmas Day, December twenty-fifth, uh, yep. in place of our regular show. Uh, the and, usual and time. like like last year's, it's really one. You know, you could listen to it, but boy, the visuals are <laughs> are something you're not going to want to miss. So, since people will be home, maybe they can break their regular commute cycle Download and watch this one. This on video. One. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is what well, this one you're going to want to see. Eleven a.m. Pacific, uh, as always, uh, two p.m. Eastern Time, nineteen hundred UTC. Christmas Day. Get up in the morning, open your presents, <laughs> watch security now. Believe it or not, Steve, there are people that will do that. So is uh, that what you're going to do? You're going you're gonna to air these <clears throat> specials and bests of and things at the same time slots they yeah. would normally be live? Yeah. Okay. I think cool. that's the plan. You know, I haven't asked, but I think that's what we will normally, <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. So, you know, if, you, if you're in a habit, and people don't, a lot of people don't observe Christmas, so uh, if you're in the habit and it's a Wednesday and it's a normal day for you and uh, you tune in, you will get Security Now, just a very special Security Now. And many of our other shows are doing best ofs. And, of course, don't forget the following week is New Year's Day. We're doing our 24-hour of New Year's. I've been trying to convince the staff for years to do this. They finally exceeded. Now that I'm an old man, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But starting 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. E- 7 a.m. Eastern on New Year's Eve, uh, that is uh, 20. No, I'm sorry, that's 12 noon New Year's Eve day, uh, UTC, and then going to 4 a.m. New Year's Day. So 4 a.m. New Year's Eve, be- for, and you're going to come up, right? 
you and I'll be together. Yep. <laughs> so we got two. You know, we got a normal security now next week, and then it gets weird. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Day and New Year's Day. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I should still be alert by that time. I won't. I won't be uh, passed out yet. Well, actually, wait a minute. New Year's, no, your New Year's Day, so I don't know what we're going to do for security now on that Wednesday. I will have gone home. I'll be fast asleep. Yeah, we're doing it on Tuesday. We talked about this before. So we'll do so, it ahead of time, and then, yeah, I'll right. take it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of this, though, is you get, you're going to get 26 54321 countdowns, happy 2014, because we're going to start, and uh, I think it's Papua New Guinea, but whatever the the, the western... Or is it easternmost? Whatever the you, you said, there were some half-hour time there's zones. There's some 15 too. minute and half-hour time zones. I'm told there's 27. There's 27 yeah. time zones in the world, and we're going to try to hit each one and count down each one. <laughs> That's a lot of champagne. 27 glasses of champagne. You know, I've I'll got to bringing. Go ahead. I was going to say I'll, I'll be bringing my coffee fixing stuff up, yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll have be coffee. Tasting We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll I be think drinking I'll a lot of coffee. coffee. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think I may not drink champagne. I might drink Martinelli's sparkling apple cider. It just looks like champagne. Yeah, because you know you you need stability to be on that ball, Leo. The ball, you know, you you need. Oh, to I ain't doing twenty four hours on a ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not nuts. Our show today, actually, for a New Year's resolution, maybe you would like to uh, back it up. Our show today, brought to you by the best backup solution there is Carbonite. Online backup. It is fabulous. It is uh, affordable. It is uh, secure. In fact, uh, Steve says they do have trust no one encryption. Now, when you do trust no one encryption on Carbonite, it's cloud-based backup. Some of the features that we talk about can't work. You can't, obviously. And that's what you want. That's, that's what, what you want. Asking. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So you get the choice. It is always SSL encrypted on its way to the Carbonite cloud. It's automatic. Whenever you're connected, you're backing up. It's continuous. You change a file, it gets backed up. Uh, versioning is enabled on Windows machines, which is really nice. Um, it's a perfect solution for uh, people who are worried about CryptoLocker. You know you're safe because you've got a good backup. Uh, and it is not a hot backup, so it's safe from CryptoLocker. I mean, there, I can just go on and on. You've got to try this thing, especially if you're in a small business. Because uh, a, a crash, a hard drive crash, losing a hard drive, accidentally throwing something out, having everything stolen or fire is is one thing at home. But if it's a small business, that could put you out of business. you got to try it. It starts at $59.99 a year for everything on a single hard drive, Mac or PC. It goes on up. Uh, there are If you go to Carbonite.com, there are business plans. And uh, somebody just sent me, uh, Fabrizio Marin just sent me uh, a press release uh, from Carbonite. He's a fan, a Carbonite user. And Carbonite has announced uh, that the home bandwidth capabilities have been increased as a result of the increase in upload bandwidth, Carbonite home users can now achieve the same upload speed as Carbonite business users. This is a great, I tell you, Carbonite gets better and better and better. They used to, for home users, have a 200 gigabyte, not cap, you can upload an unlimited amount, but they'd slow you down after 200 gigabytes. They've eliminated that. If you haven't tried Carbonite lately, try it free right now. Use our offer code security now. You don't need a credit card. Two weeks free. Uh, of any of the plans on Carbonite.com. And if you decide to buy two months with purchase free, Carbonite.com. Better and better. Since uh, they were founded in 2005, same time as Twit was, they have backed up more than 300 billion files. They have restored more than 
20 billion files that would have been lost without Carbonite. 20 billion. And just to give you some idea of how much data they store, it's not, it's not quite NSA numbers. 100 petabytes of data currently on their servers. 100 petabytes. Peta. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, to be honest with you. Carbonite.com. Try it free right now. Offer code security now. That's a petabyte is a big one. That's a, a thousand gigs. So oh wait no, that's a million gigs because we got Terra over gig. Terra is and a, then Peta. Yeah. T so terra a, is a thousand gigs and Peta is a thousand Terras. Right. So it's a hundred, <laughs> hundred billion so gigs. A hundred. It's a million gigs. A hundred million gigs. <laughs> just, just, just one. Million. I don't know how many hard drives that is. It's a lot. <laughs> All right, Steve. Uh, what's the news across the nation? Well, we are here on our second – we just passed the second Tuesday of the month. It's funny because when we announced the, the podcast would be moving till Tuesday, I got a bunch of, of tweets from people saying, wait a minute. Does that mean you won't be able to do Patch Tuesday anymore because we're taking advantage of the fact that we're one day later than Patch Tuesday sometimes? But Microsoft does release this information in some mailings that I subscribe to. So I think we should still be okay with our – We'll be a little more current, in fact, with Patch Tuesday. It won't be yesterday. It'll be today that those patches are available. Um, we have some important things, both from Microsoft and Adobe, because they're zero-day fixes, meaning that they, are, they were discovered because bad guys were found already doing them in the wild before the vulnerability was known. So, um, so these are, you know, as always, you want to stay current. Um, there are 11 patches fixing 24 vulnerabilities. So that's kind of medium size relative to what we see on these monthly updates from Microsoft. 12 of them, 12 of the 24, so half of them, were remote code execution vulnerabilities. No, those are never good. You have eight elevation of privilege vulnerabilities, which is where some you know if you run in an unprivileged account for security which of course is always what people should do this is a way of essentially getting admin privileges when when you're the sandbox essentially that you're running in with limit deliberately limited privileges doesn't allow those so those are not good eight of those of of these are being fixed and and they call them denial of service vulnerabilities in two cases. They're not what we think of in like in terms of a bandwidth flood. They're basically a crash. Something is able to crash some software, thus denying you the service of that thing it crashed, whatever it is. So two of those got fixed. An information disclosure vulnerability that that's that's one that people are considering worrisome because it involves the the cloud services and the way Microsoft's cloud services function, which would allow account information to escape. So you want to pay attention to that one too. I think that was 104. And then a security bypass vulnerability. So what Microsoft is now doing is ranking these, as we've talked about before, in the order in which they should be done if for some reason you can't do them all. And they're sort of sequential. 96, 97, 98, 99, and 105, they skip a bit. Those are the, like, if you only can do some, do those uh, to immediately prevent exploitation by attackers. And then 96 is, uh, 96 of that, the very first one, is the critical zero-day vulnerability in Windows and Office. 
um, 97 and 99 of that group fix a dangerous scripting problem in Windows. Um, and Microsoft has said of those three, of 96, 97, and 99, they're expecting active exploits immediately, and in some case, that's already happened. So those need to get done. And then the lesser important ones, 100, 101, 102, 104, and 106 should be ASAP, like as soon as possible. And then 103 is like, eh, yeah, at your earliest convenience, says Microsoft. So anyway, do them all. You know, end users <laughs> certainly should. And I guess admins who don't have a choice, you know, do the important ones. Right. Um, Adobe's updated Flash and Shockwave fixing two security holes, including one that is in the wild now being actively used in attacks, malicious uh, shockwaveflash.swf files are being attached to Microsoft Word documents and emailed to people. And, you know, the curious who open the Word doc get themselves exploited immediately. Is so, that using a macro? How are they doing that? Uh, it's just an attachment, and I guess the the act of of opening it when it's attached to the doc file will cause it to get executed. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, that, that's a question. It may well be a macro that is saying, oh, you know, run this. You know, right. that, So the doc says run the attachment, and then the attachment says, oh, thank you, and, you know, takes over your the, computer. The reason I ask is because Word now won't run a macro automatically. It'll have to – it'll say, do you want to run this macro? I wonder how they're doing that. That's interesting. Yeah, they probably get around that. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe doc, maybe you know. they got around that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's like, the, it's like the address space layout randomization – uh, that, you know, malware just says, okay, yeah, well, you have that on, but we're going to get around that. We'll just so, ignore that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll just work Thank around. you. Yeah. Uh, we have a new Firefox that happened a couple days ago. I, I announced it uh, to I, my Twitter followers. Um, not a big deal. The one really nice thing, this is version 26. So anybody who wants it, who just like leaves Firefox running all the time, as I do, go to about help or help about rather in your Firefox menu and up comes the about box and you'll see that it's immediately kicks it into downloading the new the update and then you need to restart Firefox which is fine because it like brings all your tabs back uh, and you'll have the latest and greatest. What they did was all Java plugins are now click to play. So I don't know what took them so long but that's now in version 26. That's a big change there. So that if any Java is part of a web page, it will not run by itself, which, you know, yay, that's absolutely what we want. You have to, it'll show it to you, you know, disabled, and you have to d explicitly click on it in order to run it, and which is a reasonable trade-off. We know that there are sites that depend upon Java. They won't run without it, but running without intervention is a massive, as we've often talked, security vulnerability. So now you just have to click on it in order to run it. So it's like, hey, that seems reasonable. They've also updated their password manager. So it now supports script-generated. That is their built-in password manager in Firefox. So it now supports script-generated password fields, which it just wasn't aware of before. Uh, they made some changes to the way update works with Windows so that the user running the update no longer requires write permissions as long as they have a, like a Mozilla maintenance service, which runs in the background. That's the, the because it's a service, it's able to have system-wide writes. And so they've arranged for the non-privileged 
um, code which sees the update to communicate with the service and get the service to do the update so a non-privileged user is able to get their Firefox updated nicely. They added also H.264, which, of course, is the now the new standard uh, video codec uh, for Linux, which uh, didn't have it in Firefox before. And then there's a bunch of developer improvements and miscellaneous fixes. So anyway, that's, that's a good thing to get. And it's easy. Just restart Firefox uh, after you go to help about. Okay, so disturbing news from the next Snowden dribble. And I have to just take my hat off to the strategy because, first of all, it is, when you think about it, it is phenomenal how much Edward got before he left. That the fact that even now we're, you know, we're still getting new revelations from the the data that he collected and it's been so much more effective than if he just dumped it out on the world and said here because we would have you know been overwhelmed it would have been oh my god and the news would have been significant for a week and then it would have been forgotten so you know this is the way to do it what we've learned in the washington post covered it a couple of days ago, is that in a slide in a, that was recently released, that it, it made reference to the the NSA and GCHQ, the the equivalent agency in the UK, using cookies and specifically the Google Pref ID cookie. Then this slide says to enable remote exploitation, and it's not clear. How that go? How how that exactly works? Because again, a lot of interpretation is, needs to be done of these slides. But the Washington Post wrote, they said the agency's internal presentation slides provided by former NSA contractor Edge Snowden, which is you know the standard <laughs> byline now for these, show that when companies follow consumers on the internet to better serve them advertising, the technique opens the door for similar tracking by the government, essentially piggybacking on the tracking that the that other trackers are doing. The slides also suggest that the agency is using these tracking techniques to help identify targets for offensive hacking operations. And it talks about enabling remote exploitation. So, you know, my take on this, as I started saying, is, well, okay, um, we have to assume, because all the evidence now demonstrates that what can be done is being done. You know, the NSA are are full of really smart people. And so, you know, they're as able to look at traffic on the Internet as hackers can. And they can look at this. I mean, and their bosses are saying, we want you to, to track everything, you know, everything. So do that. And so, you know, they're seeing users, browsers, sending out cookies with, you know, every query that the browser is making. And they're saying, well, okay, why can't we track these? And the answer is they can. You know, if they're, if they're sitting here looking at a big pipe and they're able to obtain 
non-encrypted, which is to say non-SSL, st standard HTTP queries, then all of those queries are containing cookies, which, you know, wherever they're going, you know, I mean, I I'm sure you're aware, Leo, how pervasive Google's uh, analytics are on websites. I mean, Google Analytics is like everywhere because a phenomenal number of sites use it. Well, that means that there is Google script running pervasively across the Internet, and that script is making queries to Google, which is which are sending the Google Analytics cookies back to Google, and anybody sitting on the Internet looking at all the unencrypted traffic can absolutely track users as easily as Google can. They're getting all the information that Google is, and potentially all the information that all the tracking advertisers are getting. I mean, and so why wouldn't they be doing this? It, it makes perfect sense that, that that's what someone would, would be doing in order to aggregate this. This sort of makes the NSA like, like this super cooking tracking organization because it's cross-organization whenever the, the, the connections are unencrypted – which unfortunately is still a lot of the time. We've got a question later on from someone who installed Calomel and was a little shocked by how many sites had no encryption whatsoever. He just assumed that everybody was doing it, but many sites are still not doing it. So it's like, yeah, um, you know, again, we, we ought to assume what can, what, what can be done, the NSA will be doing. And, and the fact is, even there's so much use of non-encrypted traffic where encryption is still only used during password negotiation when you, you when you when you negotiate the password and the problem of course as we know from our coverage of fire sheep earlier and if any listener doesn't know about fire sheep go find that podcast Oof. because it is still happening you know anytime you use a secure connection to log in but then your browsing and your movement around the site subsequently is not SSL. You're, th that means that you're, you're, the way you are maintained, your, 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 your login is maintained, is a, is a cookie is going back and forth to the server in the clear. And what FireSheep showed was how easy it is to obtain those cookies in any, in any open Wi-Fi setting because – Anyone on the Wi-Fi is—it's like—it's like you're on a hub, on on a network. You're on a shared network, and you can see all of the cookies that everyone is using. That is their their logged-on session, and so it is trivial for someone to just start making queries to the same server and giving it that cookie. They're logged on too as the person whose cookie they stole. And this is still very pervasive. So, I mean, it really does say that we need to get HTTPS all the time, everywhere. And some major websites, as we'll find out later in this podcast, are still not doing that. By the way, Snowden, he one of 10 people nominated for Time Magazine Man of the Year, didn't win it. Pope won it. Uh, there were some pretty tough competition yeah, pretty stiff competition yeah uh, he, he's, he seems to be a neat pope too so he's a good pope i probably would have preferred edward snowden but you know it's not not up to me um that's actually, a little that's a little dicey because you know well remember still... man of the year is not a good man necessarily hitler was a man of the year Ooh, um it's okay. it's just the most <laughs> important person 
newsworthy-wise that year, right? So it doesn't have to be good. Um, in, the, in that case, I agree, Leo. I think in that, with, that, with that criteria, Snowden really does, does deserve you, it. You tell me. Here's the candidates. Uh, Bashar Assad, president of Syria. Jeff Bezos, Amazon. Uh, Ted Cruz, senator from Texas. Miley Cyrus. I don't know how she got on that list. For good or evil, I don't think she made a difference. Uh, Pope Francis, President Obama. Uh, Hassan Rouhani, President of Iran. You see, it doesn't have to be somebody good, just somebody who made a big difference, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Kathleen Sibelius, Secretary of HHS. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> not, not Man of the Year, uh, I don't think. But Edward Snowden, NSA leaker. And Edith Windsor, the uh, gay rights activist whose Supreme Court case um, cleared the way for gay marriage. So those are all very wow. important. But boy, wow, I that's think stiff. I, yeah. Edward Snowden's, to me, on the top couple of three. Yeah, because of the nature of the way this he changed did the this. world. This changed the world. Yes, yes. I, I didn't cover because it, it just didn't, it seemed, I don't know, quite relevant enough. But, you know, the Silicon Valley is really getting together now and saying we're, we're, we've got to put together a a coalition to fight this, to fight this, I mean, pervasive surveillance. And, you know, they've put together, I, I guess, a, a letter and, and, uh, you know, sign up sheet and so forth in order to begin to act. But, you know, the NSA was was critically hurt because it turns out that what they were doing, as we know, was way more than than people feel they really had a license to do. Yeah. So yeah. By the way, it's even, even even Time magazine calls it person of the year. I'm, I'm, I'm going back in time when I call it man of the year. I don't know when they changed it to person of the year, but it's person of the year or human of the year. Wasn't there going to be a a machine? Was it Watson for a I while? Was... I think Watson was the uh, what? Are, what is the so, his, yeah. history of Man, it, Time magazine's entity, entity of the year? And why Time magazine to, yeah. gets to decide this? I don't know. Just because they say they do, I guess. <laughs> uh, let me well, see the person of the yeah, year. And, you know, Forbes has their you know five hundred and their one hundred. Started in nineteen twenty seven. Charles Lindbergh uh, last year was the president. The protester was uh, because of the Arab Spring and Occupy movement in 2011. Mark Zuckerberg in 2010. That makes no sense. Ben Bernanke of the uh, Fed, 2009. Although, remember, Facebook was a big lot of noise back then. Yeah, so, yeah. Good yeah. Samaritans in uh, 2005. Bono, Bill Gates, and Melinda Gates, kind of a triumvirate. The American Soldier in 2003. You know, in 2002, whistleblowers were the persons of the year. Mm. And I think that's what Snowden is, right? Oh, my goodness. Of course. Yeah. Yes. So let's just say he won in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> For it, Collectively. The Pope was picked, uh, Pope John Paul II, in 1994. So it's not the first Pope. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. But diff different Pope. pope different Pope. Francis was just a twinkle in the, <laughs> in the eye of the College of Cardinals. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going straight to hell. Continue. So um, the... Uh, a a uh, security research group, uh, Spider Labs, discovered a massive database of usernames and passwords. And so this is different than the typical um, vulnerabilities or uh, disclosures that we've seen before. Typically what we report on is a given website has lost control of their database. And so we're looking at the pass passwords of that website. 
In this case, what was found was the repository from a botnet. So this is it's called the Pony Bot P O N Y the Pony Botnet because it uses the botnet controller is identified as the as as the Pony controller and I guess the controller itself is now uh, open source or the source has been published and it was by by looking at the source that they were able to find this one controller of one botnet and so there are bots installed on people's machines that they're clearly not aware of that are collecting that the bots are spying on them collecting account information their credentials as they log into various accounts and so 1,580,000 website login credentials were found 320,000 email account login credentials, 41,000 FTP account credentials, 3,000 RDP, remote desktop, you know, Windows remote desktop credentials. That's bad (laughs) because that means that, you know, anybody who's got that can log into your remote desktop, which, you know, is full access. Typically, those are servers, you know, full access to... Uh, to your machine then, 3,000 secure shell account credentials stolen. So first of all, we've got nearly 2 million login credentials found. But then, as is always interesting to security researchers, they look at what these are. And no surprises. The password 123456, ever the most popular password, was used in 15,820 cases. Um, in fact, I've got a little table there from the breakdown. Um, second most popular, a little bit longer. People thought, well, I'm going to make this password longer. So they added 789 to the end of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Um, then third most were a little more lazy people. They only went as far as 1, 2, 3, 4. And then they said, ah, you know, who cares about the 5, 6? That's obvious. So we'll just leave that off. And then the word password is number four on this on the hit parade. It always is. Rhymes with ass word. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And then, you know, one, two, three, four, five, that made number five on the list. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They, uh, they didn't go as far as nine, but they, but they went a little further than six. And so that was number six. I mean, and so forth. I mean, this is, and I don't know, 100, uh, 1,224 sites except the numeral one as a password. So this well, is wait just a really, one digit? One digit. Just one? That's one. The numeral one and whatever it is says, okay, that's your password. That's fine. That must be email. What? So, you know, dumb email servers. I, I just, you know, wow. So anyway, uh, interesting list. Uh, it was an, it generated enough news that KTLA TV had me on uh, last I heard about that. Thursday, yeah, last Thursday I think it was. Just you know, and uh, Rick Romero is their consumer guy, and you know, his mission, and which is why he brings me back and reminds people about password haystacks at GRC, is just That's trying right. to get people to stop doing one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. just for their own good. Please do anything but that. And so, and so, which is why he likes you know, the, the haystacks idea. Cause I'm just saying, just do something more, 
add a bunch of something to it. Do something. doesn't have to be hard to remember. Just get it off this list because that's better than nothing. And it's easy to do. You've seen the Have I Been Pwned website, right? This <laughs> yes. searches that database. So you can enter in yes. your email address. Nice. Uh, and the one that I, uh, I, when I enter my email address, it says Adobe because that of all of the accounts that we're yeah. hacked, that's the one that, uh, and I knew about that. So, yep. uh, yeah. So if you if you want to know, it's have I been pwned dot com? Have I been pwned? <laughs> and I now I don't know these guys, and uh, it's Troy Hunt. I don't know if he is saving the passwords or whatever. But I oh Tro I mean, Troy's a good guy. I, I would trust I would yeah, trust Troy completely. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. fun. It's fun to look. And you should never use the same password everywhere. Hey, let's take a break. Come so, back. Do you mind? Okay. We're done with no. a two million password story. So <laughs> we are. This would be a perfect time to talk about ProXPN, right? Uh, hey, did you see this good news? ProXPN, which has always taken uh, credit cards, now takes Bitcoin. So now people have said, oh, well, you're not anonymous on ProXPN. Well, now I guess you kind of could be more anonymous because they won't know who you are uh, if you use Bitcoin. A tiny fraction of a Bitcoin. At the, at the oh, yeah. Case. Oh, yeah. Not a yeah. whole Bitcoin. whole Bitcoin gets you years <laughs> of service. <laughs> Pro XPN is an open VPN. Uh, now, I know some of you uh, who listen are, are sophisticated enough that you've got your own, like Steve, uh, VPN server running and all of that with open VPN. But most of us don't want to take the time to do that, don't want to set it up, and don't really want to have a server have to always be online and running. So this is a hosted OpenVPN solution, and it gives you all the benefits of OpenVPN, all the security. For those who don't know, what it is is an encrypted tunnel from your machine to the ProXPN servers. Of course, your traffic has to emerge onto the public Internet at some point. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't work. Um, unless the only people you wanted to talk to were ProXPN for the rest of your life. But I think you want to talk to other sites. So it goes to ProXPN servers, then emerges onto the public Internet and goes to Facebook or Google or wherever else you're going. The point of this being nobody between you and the servers can see what you're doing. That means if you're on an open access spot, you're encrypted. You're safe no matter what you're doing. Every bit of your traffic goes through there. If you're in a hotel and you're plugging into the Ethernet, oh, I'm safe. No, you're not. This, that's really a dangerous situation. Steve mentioned Fire Sheep. Run Fire Sheep. Everybody can see you, you know? So the point of this is it will encrypt you from there to there. It also protects you against Snoopy ISPs at home. If your ISP has a, a six-strike rule, and almost all of them do, then uh, you don't have to worry about that. It has another benefit. When you emerge on the public Internet with ProXPN, you emerge wherever that server is. And that's why they have servers all over the world, in the Netherlands, in uh, Singapore, in London, so that eliminates any geographic restrictions you might be subject to. You appear to be coming from there. Uh, they have software for Windows and Mac that offers advanced controls, allowing you to select the programs and ports you want to anonymously route through their servers. But they also have, and this is a really uh, wonderful, they have apps for iOS and Android. So you can also have total privacy on your smartphone. That is really, really good news. The Pro uh, XPN app for Android in the Google Play Store supports OpenVPN. Otherwise, you had to use PPTP. I think on iOS, uh, you still have to use PPTP. But this is a great solution. Those apps are free with a Pro XPN account. Now, you can, there's free accounts on Pro XPN, and you certainly could use those. Um, go to proxpn.com slash twit, and you can read up on what all the different accounts are and what the different features are. But the premium features, I think, are what you're going to want. Now, normally... 
still very affordable, $10 a month, $75 when you buy a year. But with our special offer, SN20, you'll get 20% off, not just now, but for the lifetime of your account, forever. 20% off. That means less than $5 a month when you use the yearly plan. Great support, great people. And uh, and now they use Bitcoin. I don't know what uh, $5 in Bitcoin is, but it ain't much. <laughs> one, uh, one two hundredth of a Bitcoin, something like that. So Visa and PayPal, of course, but Bitcoin as well. ProXPN.com slash Twitch. Sign up with the offer code SN20 for uh, 20% off. And, of course, uh, cancellation is easy within seven days for a full refund. So you've got a seven-day trial, too. ProXPN.com slash Twit. What is it? But Bitcoin's gone down, hasn't it? It's a, I think I think it was at nine something last time I looked, but it seems to have stabilized. It's I mean it didn't ah. like crash all the way back down. It it dropped down oh, into yeah, the eight or seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it seems to be sort of holding. Good, 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 good. As a holder of fifty bitcoins, you probably pay a little <laughs> bit of attention to this. Well, I do love that zero block app on iOS. Every time I sort of see it on my list or in my little screen of apps, every so often I go, oh. Where are we now? And I, you know, tap it and go. Oh, okay. You know, just sort of. I mean, I'm not. I'm never going to sell. I'm just no. going to ride this wherever it goes. And yeah. And you know, for, I mean, I didn't do anything to earn them. They just sort of appeared magically. My, my back in the days when you could actually have a PC mint for you. Now, I guess I heard some news that China is getting very in, interested in Bitcoin because they like the idea of a, of a non-state controlled, you know, currency and transactions. But, you know, they're like setting up warehouses with mining machines. It's like, oh, could, there goes the neighborhood. So, Ugh. yeah, it's getting to be. And apparently there's I, – I did see someone. There's a, an organization, a mining pool group that said they owe their that. existence to to us. To, to Oh, to I didn't see that. Now and really? Talking about, yeah, to wow. talking about Bitcoin um, on the show. That's, that's what created it. So I thought that was cool. So – by the way, somebody, somebody in the chat room is saying you can use OpenVPN uh, on iOS. Yes, My I, thought, I thought that was the case. I, I, I thought they were now. They have both, uh, so uh, Android and uh, and iPhone. Yeah. Sorry. So my Unix is FreeBSD. Brett Glass told me about it years ago. You remember Brett probably oh, yeah. from the old days. He's oh, still yeah. around. And he said, that's the one you want. That's the one I went with, and I've never been unhappy with it. It's what runs our new server, and I, I use a bind on for my DNS server back, you know, in, at the server farm at GRC. Um, and uh, that's my choice. So uh, Ars Technica carried a story uh, that indicated that the next release of FreeBSD version 10, they are backing off of their endorsement and use of hardware random number generators, which have recently been incorporated into chips, which is, I mean, it's, it's sad, but I completely understand it. We we know that the NSA has attempted to influence chip design. Um, we know, I mean, we really suspect, we have to suspect that the NSA influenced an organization as important and significant as RSA to choose the worst, the, the known defective pseudo-random number generator as the default for all of their cryptographic library packages, um, we, we have to assume that's why they would have done that. And so, you know, here Intel comes out with a much ballyhooed hardware, you know, quantum level 
uncertainty. Uh, I mean, beautiful pseudo-random number, well, actually true physical random number generator. I'm so used to saying pseudo. It's not pseudo. It's truly random. Uh. And, now, and now we can't use it. It's, I mean, it's so sad, but it's true. We can't. So um, actually what they're doing is they're assuming that it can't be trusted. So they're falling back to what they were doing before, which is to use Yarrow. Yarrow was designed uh, by our buddies, Bruce Schneier, John Kelsey, and, and uh, Niels Ferguson at Counterpain Labs, Bruce's group. Uh, it's very beautifully designed, pseudo-random software-based, so therefore necessarily pseudo-random number generator. But it works on the concept of a pool of randomness, which you know is, is the standard way you do really good random num- number generators now. I looked into it carefully when I was doing the op. My, I needed a really good pseudo random number generator for the off the grid, uh, you know, project that I worked on where I used Latin squares in order to generate, you know, uh, web name based, you know, domain name based passwords. And I didn't use it because I needed even more entropy. Uh, it uses by default a pair of SHA-1 hash contexts. An SHA-1 context is 160 bits. So you essentially, it sort of bounces back and forth. It uses one while it's building the entropy in the other one. And once the entropy is used up in the one it's using, it sort of ping-pongs. It switches over to the one which has been building up entropy and then begins rebuilding entropy in the other one. But the problem is you, you're actually, I mean, that's really good randomness but I actually needed more. I remember that I had what I called a UHE PRNG, ultra high entropy pseudo random number generator that I developed. It uses 1536 bits. And the reason was there are that there were like that many Latin squares. And so if I used any lower entropy random number generator, then I couldn't get to all of the Latin squares that were possible. So I had to do that. But that's way beyond most systems needs. They just need, you know, give me, you know, a chunk of entropy. So what FreeBSD is doing is they used to be using a purely software PRNG. Then they switched to a purely hardware PRNG, sorry, RNG, not pseudo, really, really, you know, fabulously random, true random, but now they're having to back off of that. So the hardware randomness and other sources, since they can't purely trust the hardware random number generator, that will all then feed into Yarrow, which is good because, because all of these things are like hungry for entropy. They, when we talk about entropy being used up, um, the, the, the good pseudo-random number generators sort of keep track of how much randomness has been taken from the pool and and at some point they decide it goes below a threshold that's when they switch over to one which has been collecting entropy while the other one's been dispensing it and so they ping pong between so anyway that's this is probably a trend we're going to see is is i mean you know these guys are right we cannot simply trust the hardware because it is subject to really subtle manipulation and subtle manipulation is, as we know, all you need. Any deviation from randomness is not good for crypto. Somebody and- in the chat room saying you could build your own hardware 
true random number generator with a few chips and a reverse bias transistor. That would be a great project. Is it true that yeah, would be effective? Yes. Yeah, you, uh, you, you can use, for example, a reverse bias diode. Uh, and what happens is uh, electrons migrate absolutely randomly across the reversed biased PN junction of a diode. Um, and so, and then you amplify that and count them, and it generates entropy. Sometimes the problem is it's not generating it rapidly enough. And so that's one, what Intel did was they actually used a cross-coupled inverters, which could never be in a stable state because they would just, it just you know, entropically, it couldn't be stable. I guess it was three in a row, and it was just like screamingly fast and... And then you sample that and got really good entropy. Um, I would, I mean, I I tend to think Intel's probably hasn't been warped, but we can't know. But it is the case that you could absolutely build a, you know, there's lots of different approaches now to to build that. And there's a there's something called the entropy key. I've been trying to buying to buy from an outfit in the UK now for quite some time. This, for some reason, it's difficult to get and and you know, they've they've stopped making it available. But it was just a little USB plug-in dongle. And in fact, even Ubico has in there and here I happen to have it in front of me. This thing is their their can't remember what they call it. They uh it's one of their gizmos. It's a USB device. It's got crypto in it. But it also has a, a a a hardware random number generator built in. There, there. Is it I like true random number? True random number. Oh. Yeah, true. You know, based in hardware. Oh. And of course, I would I would trust Stina till the end of the world. You know, not to be. Uh, so uh, I could subject- plug that in, and it would it would spin and run some command, and would spit out a random number. It probably has a program yes. on it, right? Yes. Yeah. That's that's something special, though. That looks like a USB key. I have a bunch of. Yubikey yeah. stuff. Yeah, it it is. It, it, if, if we look, if we go to yubico.com, you'll see they, it's, a, it's an acronym HMS or something or other. It's all, the, this, all these Yubico things. <laughs> I have to figure out which one. This one, you press a button and it does something. So that's uh, that's the normal Yubico. I don't know. I'll have to figure. And then I have one with U- NFC in it that's really cool that I just tap that's, stuff to. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And in fact, Google. Has uh, has uh, announced that they they have their U two F I think universal two factor um, project. So uh, that yeah that is that this this was came out this uh, news was a couple of weeks ago that Google and Yubico are have are like officially teamed up. Google's using it in house now, and it uses the NFC equipped YubiKey um, to do. Uh, to do uh, second party, you know, two factor, uh, two party, two factor authentication. Wow. Um, of course, they still username and password, so it's not. It doesn't have the same goals that I have with Squirrel, which is to re- completely replace username and password. You'll probably see that that a gizmo there if you if you find it. I'm looking through all the. Uh, it's their hardware, a hardware something for their. I server. didn't realize they have a dedicated uh, LastPass YubiKey. That's a cool thing. That is neat. Um, yeah, they're doing great. It's really they, neat. That they're Stina making relationships with a lot of different people, which is really, yeah. really cool. Yeah, now, now, now that Stina is over here in Silicon Valley, she's got you yeah. know access to people. Yeah. So, so the NSA can't hack uh, those. That's the good news. I would really trust. Well, if you built your own with a reverse bias diode, then then you know it's okay. 
Unless yep. uh, the NSA got to the diode manufacturer. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be. No, actually, they, that, that, oh, that's yeah. not going to yeah. that They haven't yet gotten to physics. God is not on in the NSA's side, thank goodness. I'm going to, I just emailed Iaz and uh, Father Robert Ballester and said, let's do this fun uh, know-how as a project. That'd be a great idea. I'm sure if you Google, you know, uh, build my own uh, hardware Ran a number generator. Yeah. You'll find a bunch of stuff yeah. there. You, you probably took you. You do a simple little reverse bias junction. Sometimes a tunnel diode is used, and then you'd like run that through um, an Arduino. So you you it would generate noise. You have to do post processing. You need to whiten it and balance it, and then and then like run your own routine to verify that it's producing good stuff. Um, so that it can like shut it down if it's not, but you know it it can definitely be done. I'm sure people have done that. And this is the U. You were talking about the UB. It's called the UBS HSM Hardware the Security Module. Yeah, and the idea being that you would plug this into a server, right? And it's able to then it it it, it cannot be. It's, it's like 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 Apple's secure store in iOS. It's a it's a deliberately. Um, read only, you can't right. write to it sort of thing, and all you can do is ask it questions. And so it, it creates a, a secure boundary such that you can you can keep your secrets there and no compromise of the server is able to compromise it because it's just it's standing outside with a, a clearly defined, you know, serial interface through USB to the, the rest of the of the device. So you can store secrets and things in it. Cool piece 500 of bucks. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this was a bit of spin from the French government. Um, the uh, the news hit on Saturday, and uh, this on on December seventeenth. Uh, Google's online security blog said late on December third. So this was they were blogging after four days. We became aware of unauthorized digital certificates for several Google domains. Now, remember, this is one of the very cool things that that Chrome is doing is Chrome knows what certificates are authentic. And so the instant you try to use Chrome on a site with a, with a certificate that says it's from Google and it should be trusted, Chrome will say, Oh, uh, where where this where did you get this certificate? We never produced that, and immediately phones home and raises flags and like you know. So this is very cool feedback that Google has built into Chrome. So so Google says we investigated immediately and found the certificate was issued by an intermediate certificate authority, linked back to ANSSI a French certificate authority. Intermediate certificate authority certificates carry the full authority of the certificate authority. So anyone who has one can use it to create a certificate for any website they wish to impersonate. So that's, we'll we'll talk about why this was done versus the normal way in a second. And Google continues saying in response, we updated Chrome's certificate revocation metadata immediately to block that intermediate certificate authority and then alerted ANSSI and other browser vendors. Our actions addressed the immediate problem for our users. 
ANSSI has found that the intermediate CA certificate, now that's what they issued. So they issued this with full recertification authority because they could constrain any certificate they issue. But they said, we're issuing an intermediate certificate that can itself issue its own certificates. Which So that was deliberate. They said it was used in a commercial device on a private network to inspect encrypted traffic with the knowledge of the users on that network. This was a violation, they're now saying, of their procedures, and they have asked for the certificate in question to be revoked by browsers. Uh huh. We updated Chrome's revocation metadata, says Google, again to implement this. This incident represents a serious breach and demonstrates why certificate transparency, which we developed in 2011 and have been advocating for since, is so critical. Since our priority is the security and privacy of our users, we are carefully considering what additional actions may be necessary. Now, separately, same day, ANSSI posted on their site. This is the agency... National de la Securité des Systèmes de Information. So that's where ANSSI comes from. They said, as a result of a human error, <clears throat> which we'll discuss in a minute, which was made during a process aimed at strengthening the overall IT security of the French Ministry of Finance, Digital certificates related to third-party domains which do not belong to the French administration have been signed by a, certificate, a certi- certification authority of the DG Tresor, the Treasury, which is attached to the IGC slash A. The mistake has had no consequences on the overall network security, either for the French administration or the general public. Well, the general public might beg to differ, but they continue. The aforementioned branch of the IGC slash A has been revoked preventatively. (laughs) Yeah, because it doesn't work anymore because no browsers will honor it. Preventative revocation. Yes, The reinforcement of the whole IGC slash A process is currently under supervision Mm. to make sure no incident of this kind will ever happen again. Okay, my comment, this could not have been human error. Human error is when it doesn't work the way you want it to. Deliberate function is when it does. This had to be deliberate. What we know is it it had to be deliberate. There are two ways that an appliance can function, and we've talked about them. The way you do an appliance which wants to have visibility into the network traffic is you have only two choices. You install your own certificate into every browser which will will trust that appliance. And, of course, that's burdensome. That means everyone who wants to use the network 
will 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 have to install a certificate to trust the certificate that the that the appliance has because it has to mint certificates on the fly which it signs so you need the browse every browser to trust the certificates it mints well gee that's awkward wouldn't it be nicer if instead we we minted certificates that a trusted intermediate authority is issuing and it's trusted because a true root authority that all browsers already trust are trusting and the answer is well of course that would be much nicer then we don't have to install anything in everyone in everyone's browser so you know somebody deliberately configured this appliance to work that way this cannot possibly have been a mistake they didn't you know uh, if <laughs> i mean whoever did this knew exactly what they were doing that that they had a, somehow acquired an intermediate certificate with full certificate signing authority which gave it completely unrestrained ability to to create certificates so now everyone behind that appliance was was having their traffic inspected full spying on all their traffic with no warnings from their browser and no need to install a certificate any corporate environment that we that is behind a, a, such an appliance must have a you know must trust the certificates that the appliance is minting so it's got to accept that in its browser um this avoided that so this wasn't a mistake this wasn't inadvertent they got caught is essentially what happened because somebody ran chrome inside that network wow. and running chrome wow. is all you have to do to shut that down instantly that you know chrome will scream home to google that somebody has given it a google cert that did not come from google and that's end of the game wow yeah wow. very cool yeah, but not a mistake. They got caught. <laughs> Fascinating. Now, and they didn't yeah. admit it, which really nope, absolutely I, I, I think that breaches uh, trust and I think pure pure CYA. Yeah, and it's a shame. I mean, you, you know, when you get busted just admit it. I don't know how they could though. I mean, again, you know, and of course, this is why none of us believed the the heartfelt we're not spying right. after the the first round of NSA revelations right. it's like well you have to say you're not right you you don't have a choice and it, and of course you assume that no one is going to be sophisticated enough to call you on it except right. Steve Gibson and a few others right. you know you you read this is like oh okay that sounds fine yeah, the normal media is just going to go oh yeah wasn't their yeah, fault pushed, must have been a somebody pushed the wrong button somebody pushed the wrong button yeah so Forbes had an interesting story, and I don't know what to make of this, but um, Google, uh, Google, Apple just rolled out their new iBeacon technology Ooh, through all their a stores. Lot about this, yeah, I wanted to get your security take on this for sure. Yeah, it makes me very nervous. I mean, just Bluetooth is, you know, I don't like Bluetooth and I don't like NFC because radio is scary. I mean, radio it's very powerful when you use it right. 
but it is it's like i mean and bluetooth i love we've talked about bluetooth the the the, the technology is solid but it, it just you have, you have to be very careful and this uses bluetooth That's, le which is to me, it's interesting because it doesn't require pairing. You know, one of the security features of Bluetooth was you have to have explicit pairing between two objects. You can exchange yep. passcodes. You, you really have some form of security. But Bluetooth LE doesn't work that way. If you have a Bluetooth LE device and an application, you launch the application, it sees the device. And that's yeah, how so iBeacon works. Yes, exactly. So like, the idea is like all over the store, you've got little beacons. And so as you walk to them with your phone your phone is able to receive information from them. It's like, oh, look, you know. And so so what was interesting was that Forbes noted that in the Objective-C interface description for the iBeacon framework, it says this technology, this framework, allows you to scan for Bluetooth accessories and connect and disconnect to ones you find. That we know. It also says... You can vend services from your app, turning the iOS device into a peripheral for other Bluetooth devices. And it says you can broadcast your own right. iBeacon information from the iOS device. That was, to me, what was fascinating is that Apple stealthily had yes. included this in all iOS devices since the iPhone 4S. I mean, this is... Hundreds of millions of iOS devices. Now it has to be enabled. It's an API. I mean, yep. it's, it's not like it's you know all of a sudden your iPhone's going to say hello, hello, hello. And so what what Forbes is 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 proposing is that what will follow iBeacon is iWallet, right? And that Apple will end up producing a a, a an immediately pervasive electronic payment system. Sure, based walk into a on, store. You yeah. have to opt in. You have to turn it on. You'll have to run an app. But you could walk in a store and they go, here's your coffee. Thanks. See you, Leo. And it's yeah. done. The transaction's done. I think that's – now, remember, these iPhone 5Ss have fingerprint readers. They could tie it to that for authentication. Yep. Are you worried? Yep. I mean, what, what, is, what is the implication of this? Isn't it possible uh, to lock it down if it's implemented properly? I guess I, – I, yes. I would say as long as the – as long as the user receives something and they have on their screen and they ha they look at it and it's not spoofable and it can't be intercepted and they have to, and they affirmatively acknowledge it and I mean you could do a pin but I think the point of all this is friction free. Yeah, it's, you want low friction. You don't want to have to make the user do anything. They walk in, they yeah, like, take their coffee know, and they walk out. Yeah, right now with our iPhones of course at Starbucks, you you show the scanner the barcode on your on your uh, Starbucks app on your iPhone, and that debits it from your account. So, see, I like I like the fact that you that you know there's that kind of that level of interaction. Radio is a little more spooky, um, and I mean, and we've seen it being exploited. So we'll see. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, if nothing else, maybe a privacy concern because uh, somebody else can be monitoring this. Um, we'll have to. I, I've not looked closely at at the spec and what they're doing, but you know, I, I agree with you. It's going to be popular. Oh yeah. Um, real quick, I ran across uh, 
a list of two-factor authentication websites. I just wanted to share with our listeners because it's kind of cool to see it. I created one of my shortly, my shortly, my short bit.ly links, bit.ly slash 2FA list. As 2FA is two-factor authentication. So 2FALIST, all lowercase, that'll bunch, bounce you over to Ethan Hahn's site where he's just, as his own little project, been maintaining a list of of major popular sites that allow that support two-factor authentication right now and uh, we can assume that will be growing over time so sort of disturbingly short list i don't know if it's if it's extensive um maybe if anyone knows of any others they could you know drop him a piece of email and say hey add this but you know i mean certainly the ones that he's got are ones we know about and we that we've talked about um on on the podcast so um, that's nice to have that, just sort of to, to yeah, browse through it. But you're right, it is, it's kind of surprisingly short. It's I mean, not that long. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know what, it's good, he has links to enable it underneath each, so uh, you can go through it, see which ones you services you use, and at least if they have it, you can enable it from there, which I think is great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so now miscellany things. I'll get, I'll run through these quickly because it would be fun to get to some questions. <laughs> I ex- have been experiencing failure of Touch ID, and it's been annoying me for the last couple of weeks. Um, and I was so glad then to run across many other reports. It's happening to many yeah. people. Yeah. And when when I tweeted about it, I got lots of of followers who said, "Oh yeah, me too, me too, me too." So it's a phenomenon. I one of the things that I noticed is that. It seems to be, for me, temperature sensitive. On a cold day where the phone is cold and my hands are cold, it's much lower recognition level than when everybody's warmed up. So um, I had a couple ideas, and then I've seen them elsewhere. One was, if in fact you don't get recognition from when your finger is cold, record, train Touch ID in a different slot, because you've got five, train the same finger in a different slot under the cold conditions in order to have it, you know, recognize that. Or if nothing else, just do multiple trainings in of the same finger in multiple slots to give it more samples. And, uh, and other people have found that maybe the, 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 the polar uh, rotation orientation isn't working as well and so to deliberately like record a straight up finger and record a 90 degree angle finger one way and then a negative 90 degree angle anger finger angle finger <laughs> um, again in all in separate slots if, if just you retrain to, like you 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 do an, you just t- delete that fingerprint and retrain it, it gets works, better right it works that yes, fixes it, it works again so yeah. strange so, so i'm calling it finger fade finger fade uh, uh, Apple iTouch finger fade because and see, I would, I don't know what the logic is. Were I designing this, and I des, and I decided that the finger I had just seen was the finger I knew, but it was also giving me new information. I might be trying to mature my knowledge of that finger over time. <laughs> that is, I recognize enough that I believe it. And, oh, look, I'm getting a, some more on the side here that I hadn't seen. Let's add that. So if there is an algorithm where they're hoping to 
further evolve their finger ID, maybe it's not working right. Maybe it's like that that, that evolution is going sour. Who it's knows? not possible your fingerprint is changing over time. Well, we... Doctor Mom it, it, says this isn't because you know she they use this in hospitals a lot for access to meds and things like that. She says this is not an uncommon thing with all fingerprint readers. I I, didn't, I don't have enough experience to know that. Uh, we know that fingerprints themselves don't change over time because not we have substantively. a huge, right. We have a you know we have we know that you can take fingerprints when you're young and they're still valid when you're old. That's the that's you know. Forensics 101 of of law enforcement is that you know your fingerprints are your fingerprints are your fingerprints over time. What we're hoping, I mean, all of the hype said that the capacitive technology was, you know, ignoring surface dirt and was like reaching into and looking at, you know, the meat of your finger. Um, I just think training it under different conditions is probably a good thing, and filling up all five slots with the same finger. You know why? Settle for one. And, oh, but there was someone I did read that if you fill up all five slots, then recognition takes longer, and that certainly makes sense. That it would have to like go if it didn't find it on the first one, then try the second one, and so so forth. And so, if it's going to be unhappy, it's going to take longer to be unhappy if it's got more 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 cases. So, anyway, um, also real quick <laughs> is a what looks like an actually usable keyboard. For the iPhone. Oh no, uh, not Ashton Kutcher's keyboard. You're gonna get this. I. It's on. It's Ryan. <laughs> no, it's Ryan Seacrest. I'm sorry, Ryan. I confuse the two. They're equally vapid. Really? Okay. You think so, this is good? Huh? It looks just like a BlackBerry keyboard. That's hello. Yes, I mean my BlackBerry's is is, is is on the sidelines right now, being sad. If I could have the BlackBerry keyboard on the bottom of my phone, the other thing this does, and I thought that was it was an interesting point, is as always the case when you have any keyboard attached to your iOS devices, the software keyboard no longer deploys, Which so is you good. get m- yes, room, much yeah. more screen real estate. Yeah. Because you know, in some cases, you're in some case in some apps and uses of, of the iPhone, it just scrunches your screen down to nothing because the keyboard takes up so much space. Anyway, this is typokeyboards.com. Who's anyone who's interested? Typokeyboards.com. It is a it's a case, so something comes down from the top and and it plugs in at the bottom. You still get your lightning connector on the side. Um, it uses Bluetooth to talk to the phone. Maybe, I'm not sure, maybe if it's going to plug into the lightning. In fact, I'm not even sure that it uses Bluetooth. The, the, the screenshot shows Bluetooth on, but iOS keeps turning it on every time you update Bluetooth, which is annoying. So it sort of, it sort of comes in from both, both sides. And anyway, it's supposed to be middle of next month, middle of January. So I'm jazzed. I will have one and I will report How because retro. boy, if I, if I could have a real keyboard on my, on my iPhone, because I'm, I'll tell you where is the home Leo? key. What happens to the home key? Because it covers the home key. Yeah, it does. Good question. I guess the uh, there Oh, there it is. I see it in the, the lower, the, far lower right corner. Next to the, that looks like yeah. the home key. Yeah. If you look at the, at the big picture in the show notes. So, oh, maybe that that would be cool. What I have found is of all the keyboards: iPhone portrait, iPhone landscape, iPad portrait, iPad landscape. My very favorite is the Mini in Portrait. So the the Mini, the iPad Mini held upright in one hand, that keyboard is just the right size for me to to 
to type on. Well, you but, can thumb type too because it's narrow enough. You can hold it like you would a BlackBerry and thumb type, and I yeah. presume that's why you like it. Yeah, and, and splitting the keyboard doesn't work for me no. either. I like it all. I like yeah. it all together. Yeah. So anyway, maybe we're going to get a cool keyboard for the phone. I wanted to let people know. Also, uh, I have found and am loving something called focusatwill.com. Focusatwill.com. It is curated music for people who want to work. And so it is much like the Liquid Mind stuff. Um, It is $35 a year. But you can try it for free. Uh, you uh, For free, you get a 300-minute or five-hour loop of the same music. So after a while, it's going to be repetitive. But um, I, I, someone tweeted me about it. I tweeted it out after using it for a day and loving it. And I've had a ton of feedback from, from, the, from my followers who have tried it and are, are completely addicted. You can choose between classical, what they call focus spa, up-tempo, alpha-chill, acoustical, cinematic, ambient, and then I like ADHD beta test, whatever that is. I haven't been moved to go there yet. And then in each of those, you choose low, medium, and high intensity. So you have a wide matrix of of music, and it's just really good. I mean, it's it's take it's completely pulled me off Pandora and, and everything else. I, I really like it. And for free... You, you can try it for free. There are very iOS and Android apps. It'll also run in any browser. So you can just, you know, a browser will will play this and you can see what you think. So it was Leif Jansen uh, who tweeted this. And so thank you, Leif. It has, you know, it's changed what I do. And lots of people are saying, you know, they love it. A little bit cheaper than Pandora. So, uh, and no, not nearly as much flexibility. But if if this is what you want, it, it it really does deliver it. I'm going to play a little bit of it right now. We can just relax. This is the classical. Actually, nothing's coming out. I don't know if I've done something wrong. Uh, it seems to be playing, but I don't hear it. Oh, I have the wrong. So this is actual classical music. Yeah, but it's 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 not like huge timpanis going bang bang there's no bang. Boom, and boom. There's boom. There's Never any lyrics. What Nobody's do you listen to? You like Alpha Chill, acoustical, cinematic? I, 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 Alpha Chill is nice, so try that. All right, let's see some Alpha Chill. I like, you know what? I might get this because I, I do like instrumental music in the background. I prefer yep. classical myself. But. And, and I, I've, I've been listening to classical. It's really nice. Also acoustical. Try, try acoustical. Yeah, and I like acoustic music, actually. Whoops. It'll be a little piano and something. By the way, what we're listening to is free, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what the limits then, are in the free version. But. Oh, I, I do. You, it, you, there are no limits except it's just a five-hour loop. So oh, after it, it five repeats. Hours, yeah, yeah, you said that. Yeah, repeat. that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Five hours is enough for anyone. So listen to this. This is beautiful. And you use this for programming and writing and yes, stuff you I'm need writing to- or. When I'm coding, when I want, and when I want to block out background noise and just zone in, and they, and I mean, there's all this bullshit. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> there's all this. I can see this music stuff. has really relaxed you, Steve. There's all this other stuff they've got. <laughs> where like it's like all the science of uh, psychoacoustics. Okay, I want to see when, the ADD when, stuff. Let me see ADHD beta test. So this is the AD. Oh, this is like trying to. 
trying to... Oh, my Lord. I'm ADHD. I need other stimuli to keep my brain... My See, the whole thing with ADHD, you wouldn't know this, is that we actually, those of us who have this, our uh, frontal lobe is under-functioning. Well, I, it's I under-functioning. You don't have this. Just make me and so the reason people are ADHD is they need to stimulate their frontal lobe. And if they can keep their frontal lobe stimulated, then, then their mind works like yours does. So this, the, I guess, the idea is stimulate the frontal lobe. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little uh, overstimulated, frankly. Just shoot me now. <laughs> wow, wow, that's focus. Focus at, at will. Will.com. And uh, also, again, iOS and Android. So you can put it on your phone. You can put it in your pad. And it's just there. It's just, I mean, I've just been having a fabulous experience with it. So I know that not everyone follows me or some who do follow so many people. My note of it might have been lost. Uh, so I wanted to let, let our people know, our listeners, that it's, uh, it really looks good. Hmm. I've not, I, I found after we talked about our faster than light drive, the warp drive last week, there was a one hour video presentation uh, that Dr. Harold White did. Uh, following his paper that we had the PDF last week. There is a YouTube presentation. Um, and a couple people, first of all, we, we provide entertainment for a subset of our listeners who apparently laughed, were well, laughing so hard they fell off their chair. Uh, but, you know, that's fine too. Um, and uh, one t- person tweeted saying, he said, more like less impossible. The solution described essentially requires several tons of exotic matter having negative mass. So, okay, Leo, maybe you were right that it won't be, you know, anytime soon. Oh, well. Uh, and someone else did correct me. I we, we talked about going to Alpha Centauri in two weeks, which actually just came from text that I read about it. It turns out it's 0.43 years to Alpha Centauri. So that's 157 days or 22 weeks. So maybe someone dropped a two and it's, they went from two to 22. It's 22 weeks, but even that's practical if you can find a couple tons of exotic matter. So not maybe we can get the Large Hadron Collider to create the exotic matter for us. Then we'll stick it into our, our warp drive spaceship and off we go. You know, and it really, a couple good uh, uh, Hamilton books will get you to Alpha Centauri. You know, that's really all you need. <laughs> that's how you measure time passing now? Exactly. <laughs> that's 4.3 <Yeah>. Hamiltons. <laughs> that's 4.3 Hamiltons. <laughs> I like it. Um, also, quick sci-fi update. Uh, almost Human that I talked about on Fox. I'm getting a ton of positive feedback from people who were, thank you, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you for, you know, putting me onto it. Um, I got a note from someone who tweets as Weckman, who said, uh, SGGRC, did you know Fox is, quote, pulling a firefly? Now, the moment I saw that, I thought, oh, no, 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 don't cancel this. And he said, but, he says, they're, they've released the episodes out of order for unknown reasons. Apparently, it's the, what they've released is 156783. And I, saw, and I thought, huh. And Monday's... <laughs> It was really good, and so that's it motivated me to again remind everybody that almost human on Fox is i mean it is I would say it's the quality of Firefly, and we haven't seen anything like that for a long time, and of course, everyone's nervous because Fox killed Firefly for for i you know like I don't remember what what Joss said was the reasons, but 
Um, let's hope that Almost Human survives. I'm really liking it. it I, it's, it's the best thing I've seen for a long time. I watched the first episode. I did enjoy it. I was a little disappointed because the first android he got was such a dud. And I thought, <laughs> is, this really the, is this really the show? And then I realized, oh, no, well, that's not the android he's going to get. Oh, and last, last night's, if you want to just jumpstart, you could watch last night's out of sequence. Apparently, it was the third one made. It's the best so far. Ah. More... More character development. Okay. I'm just I'm impressed by the writing. I, they 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 did extra things they didn't have to do that you don't normally see. Anyway, I'm it's definitely on my must see list. And people have been reminding me about Continuum. I saw the first episode and it's like uh, I don't maybe it was just a bad day for me. I'm going to go back now that there's a bunch of them and maybe you know run through them and see what I think. Um, I do have a squirrel update. Squirrel that is significant. Okay. Yes, thank you. Uh, we have a mail, a major milestone yesterday. I posted the 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 final piece of the protocol, the the so-called semantics. I had put up the syntax before, which is the way the endpoints will communicate. The semantics, of course, is what they will communicate. That's now online. The the guy the the denizens of the squirrel news group at GRC are plowing into it, figuring out what I've done, and uh, and you know I'll be looking at their feedback. This was just yesterday, so it just happened. What this means, though, is once the de- dust settles from this, I finally start writing code. There is enough there that everyone, once we agree upon this, will be able to write code to implement Squirrel. So I'm very excited. That generally goes pretty rapidly. Uh, compared to just, I mean, just it's been a real process getting to where we are, but we're there now. We have a, a robust specification, uh, future-oriented, open-ended, so it can grow and do other things. And uh, you know, I'm ready to write code. So <laughs> the people waiting for version 6.1 of Spinrite will be glad of that also, because this certainly represents a, a good step in that direction. And speaking of Spinrite. Actually, in this case, what we've got now is 6.0. Uh, in, the, in keeping with the spirit of a Q&A, I ran across a question uh, in the mailbag from Jared in Australia who asked a question about Spinrite and solid-state media. He was a little bit confused about SSDs because he said, hearing a previous question on recovering data on SSD, I don't really get this. On the one hand, you say, yes, Spinrite can be run on SSD, and you don't do anything to prevent this, but you also say that SSD and flash media have limited write cycles. So running SpinWrite on SSD also wears them out. How can this be a good thing? And so I wanted to, for people who haven't heard, and, and, and also for Jared to answer his question, SpinWrite has what we call level two, which is a faster operating read-only scan which looks for any problems on media. That makes much more sense. I mean, well, it's the only thing that makes sense for SSD, but it also makes sense because SSDs don't have defects the way hard drives do. That is, you know, physical defects where you need, where it makes sense to pattern test in order to find them. So level four is a read and write test that you do not want to run on SSD because it would tend to fatigue the the SSD substrate, but which you do want to run on drives when it makes sense. 
because it's like a sort of a deeper level of testing. So yes, SpinWrite runs on SSDs all the time. And in fact, in the show notes, I posted something else, not from Jared, but Leo, you can show this. It's a little frightening. It's actually from a customer. It's a customer photo that was, that was supplied showing SpinWrite running on a brand new Kingston SSD where the smart system is already getting concerned. There's a red dot at the far right end of that bar because what, what's happened is essentially SpinWrite is running and the SSD is using error correction to such a high degree. Look at the error count. It's, it's 2.9 million. I know. It is horrifying. <laughs> and and so, th- so this... This should forever disabuse us of the notion that because it is solid state, it is error-free. What we're seeing here is perfect evidence that they have pushed the density of SSD storage, that is commercial pressure to cram more density in a in a in a in, in, essentially in smaller and smaller cells has resulted in solid state storage having a, a an effective error rate arguably right up there with hard drives and not only is the absolute error count hor- horrifying nearly 3 million depending on how far he went but the other thing that is a concern is look at the spread between minimum and maximum what i do is i those numbers are errors corrected sectors per megabyte that is, I deliberately do the math so that it, so that the units have meaning. The units is corrections per megabyte, and so what this says is that there that there was a region on the SSD where we were only needing to do about fifteen hundred, the minimum fifteen hundred corrections per megabyte, but there was a different region where we were having to do about twenty five thousand corrections per megabyte, meaning there's like a bad area on this SSD compared to like the better area. What you'd like to see some with something semiconductor would be some uniformity across the surface. So I'm I'm um, I'm seeing instances now where we're seeing the 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 like the quality of these drives beginning to come down and I've never mentioned it on the podcast. And I sort of meant to a while ago, but I, I, our users may have, our, our listeners may have noticed that warranty length was was kind of quietly crept downwards. It used to be that, that I think they had like three year warranties. They've dropped them to, to two years and one year, just sort of very quietly saying, eh, "We don't want these back after a year." So you're on your own because the you know, warranty periods used to be substantially longer. And that's not the case any longer. So do you recommend against SSDs or should you go with business class or lower density? I'll tell you what I would do. I would do what Compaq used to do, Leo, at at this point. Compaq used Spinrite on their loading dock to pre-qualify their drives. The manufacturers didn't like it, but they they had no choice. Compaq over-ordered what they wanted Wow. They ran Spinrite and they returned the worst of those. Isn't that interesting? I, I would buy two hard drives <laughs> and run Spinrite on them both and see if they're different. 
And if they're if they're different, return the weakest one. <laughs> you are why not the weakest? Why link. not? <laughs> why not? You know, everybody will take them it's back a great without idea. questions. Yeah, yeah. buy two. I, I would, return one. I would one. buy two. Buy and, three. And, and that, well, see, and that's the other thing is that people sometimes show me a screen like this and say, "Is this bad?" And it's like, I don't know because what's normal every. Every make and model differs. Now, what is definitely bad is this one, that smart error. That is the drive itself mm. rating itself as weak. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, the drive is saying, wow, I'm doing more error correction than my firmware controller thinks I should be. Which Because the firmware controller in the drive is separate from the medium. You know, the medium is like chips out there. The firmware controller has been designed to like... Rank to it's counting error corrections and it's saying, "Ow, um, I'm showing, I'm dropping the health rating because this is more ECC than I expect." So th- that's an absolute reason to send this back. And this was a brand new. This was a brand new Kingston SSD that the guy bought, and he said, uh, "This doesn't make me feel comfortable." And I said, "It should not." But what you could also do, the reason when when people just show me a screen is like, I don't know. If that error count is bad or good, but if you had two drives of the same make and model, if you bought a pair by comparing them, if one is generating a lot more errors than the other, that's the one you don't want to keep. Hmm. And and uh, I guess if you built two, you'd or three. If you buy three, you'd have. Then you'd really know. You'd really you'd, know. There'd be a, yes, you'd have two that are similar and an oddball that's yeah. like, oh boy, you go home. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Hey, we're gonna, we got questions, and we have time. We'll do as many as we can. But uh, before we do, it uh, wouldn't be a bad idea to mention our great sponsor, IT Pro TV. Uh, these are guys who have uh, watched the screensavers, as so many of you did. I know. Thank you. Uh, and we're kind of inspired by the style of the screensavers to create their own screensavers for people who want to learn IT certs. If you go to IT Pro TV, you'll learn more about it. Their slogan is learn without even knowing it, IT. And Leo, I was thinking about these guys this weekend when I was putting together the, the time capsule episode for the special holiday podcast. Yeah. Because it, show, it shows the screensavers basement It looks basement like the set, doesn't set. it? Yep, exactly. It looks just like the old set. Although they did some things that I wish we had thought of. For instance, they have giant PC, you know, the backs of PCs with giant fans on them and stuff like that. It's wonderful. Uh, Tim, Don, and their team will teach you the things you need to know to get those key certs. And if you look at the episode library, you'll see that we're talking not just A+, all the CompTIA certs, A+, Net+, and Security+, but also Microsoft's MCSA, uh, Cisco, CSENT. They're working on uh, new ones. You can see that's what those red bands mean. They're coming soon because there's always new content. In fact, you can watch live during much of the day. And that, just like us, the advantage of live is you can participate in the chat room. And just like us, when they're not live, and of course nobody can work 24 hours, I think they are live right now. Yeah, there they are. You see, it's, they got the TriCaster. They use the same stuff we use, the same mics, the same equipment. These guys really put a lot into this, and, and it shows. Hundreds of hours of content. They add 20 hours of content every week. It's fun watching them. I mean, just like you watch us you leave us on in the background. You can leave them on in the background. But in, you're filling your head with the stuff you need to know to get your certification. Things like network security, laptop repair, VLAN, subnetting, 
and more. Each episode library is organized by exam objective. There's, is that Tim? I think that's Tim down there. Uh, making it easy, or no, it's Don. I always confuse the two. <laughs> making it easy to tar- target the areas to successfully pass the search you're prepping for. The hosts make it fun, just like we do with engaging stories. They share their experiences. They know this stuff. They've been doing it for years. The shows are streamed live, but you can also get them on your Roku. I love that on demand. Roku, computer, your mobile device, both HD and SD quality. And the nice thing is you pay one low flat fee for per month. Now, normally that's $57 a month, $570 for an entire year, still a lot less. Uh-oh, looks like Don's, Don's got a problem. <laughs> well, that's a lot less. More coffee, Don. That's my suggestion. Uh, <laughs> a lot less than, uh, than uh, getting a cert in a school. But I'll tell you what, if you use the offer code SN50, you're going to get 50% off your subscription for the lifetime of your account. And that is awesome. I should say hi to these guys. Let's just type in, hi, guys, Leo here. We're talking about you. Are your ears burning? (laughs) Are your ears (laughs) burning? (laughs) I love this. It's so much fun. Uh, I I have to say, if you've got to learn this stuff, and and I'll tell you, if you want a job in the business, unfortunately, you often do have to learn this stuff. You can't skip over this. This is the way to do it. ITPro.tv slash security now. SN50 is the offer code. And uh, you can, uh, the entire library is yours for 50% off for the life of your subscription. That's twenty eight fifty a month. That's less than one prep book. And you're going to get everything you need. I think this is really fabulous. I just love these guys. Uh, ITPro.tv slash security now. Offer code SN50. Learn without even knowing it. All right, are you ready for questions, Steve? Well, now, okay, we are, but we're approaching 100 minutes on the podcast. Is that your so, new uh, benchmark, the 100 minutes? Well, I just, I'm, you know, it's I always number. put the minutes down. Yeah, it seemed, I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's a good podcast. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll do a couple questions, and then we'll just continue next week with okay. another attempted Q&A. <laughs> We've been <laughs> attempting this for a month now. Here we go, <laughs> listener-driven potpourri, Doug. Whoa. Let me just... Uh, Gernetsky, uh, Gr- I think. Gernetsky. Yeah, Doug Nice Gernetsky. Polish name. Doug Gernetsky in Appleton, Wisconsin. He caught Steve's attention uh, with his subject line, the 800-pound gorilla you won't talk about. Healthcare.gov just had an investigation on web security. I heard about it all week, and I'm surprised not to hear about it on Security Now. If you didn't cover it because of Leo's politics... <laughs> I know. Keep going. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Will you discuss it elsewhere? It's kind of a big deal after all. It's only the medical records and personal info and passwords for America. Thanks, Steve. Philip Lane also asks, have I missed it? I was going through show notes for past shows looking for an informative show on healthcare.gov, and I see nothing in the notes. You've not even touched on the subject? There's so much information out there on the ugliness of this rollout, capacity, and security issues. I find it hard to believe you haven't covered this News. Well, it's because of me. I'm a lefty, and Steve doesn't want to go against me. It's actually not because of you oh. at all. Um, oh, you know, Philip Lane says just looking for some nonpartisan reality, and for 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 one thing, it is the whole issue is so fundamentally partisan, partisan. Thank you. That it's difficult to know what reality is, but mostly 
I just assume that it is the nightmare, catastrophe, catastrophic disaster from hell. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like why bother talking about it? Just assume that it is. It's a, a massive fiasco. Apparently, half about half of the state-run sites do what we were talking about earlier. They drop. They log you in briefly with SSL. And then you have a persistent cookie, which allows anyone to take over your session and have access to all of your data. I mean, it's like I, I was explaining this to Jen because, you know, initially it wasn't even working. You know, I mean, it, you like two people were, could use it at once. And, and I just I mean, I didn't assume anything different. It was like, OK, this is a fabulous fiasco disaster on the on the part of the government. And. And, you know, and, and when I heard that it there, it was loading, the website was loading 60, 60 different individual JavaScript files in or, from all over the place in order to function. It's just, okay, you know, uh, forget about it. So the problem is it's hard so, to get real information. You're right. It's certainly assumable that there's a problem. But well, CBS News, for instance, aired a report... Uh, about security issues uh, that yeah, was wrong. Yeah, and see, none of, them, none of them know what they're talking about. That's the That's real problem. One, well, one problem. And I don't know what I'm talking about. I only know how hard it is. I mean, this everyone who listens to this podcast knows it is so difficult for old-school, serious Internet companies like Amazon or Twitter or Facebook, I mean, full of serious techie gurus, to get this right. It is really hard. And this was the point I made to Jen was I said, Jenny, it doesn't even work. I said, so, I mean, working is the first bar <laughs> you have to get over before. And unfortunately, security is always an afterthought. Secure, we, we see this over and over. I mean, we should just assume that there is no security whatsoever and that some year after it finally works, maybe it'll start being secure. I mean, it's it's such a catastrophe, I've just ignored it. So the reason I haven't talked about it is just I really had nothing definitive to say. I need details. I need specifics. And it's just like, you know, Fox is the News, ocean... CNBC, CBS, you're not going to get the no. technical is details the, you need. Is the ocean wet? Well, yes. <laughs> you know? It, it's, it's like beyond security. It's just, it's... It's, I mean, it would just hurt you to start looking at it. So just, I mean, there's just nothing that I have to say. I, I mean, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to take my own time. M people would much rather have SpinRight 6.1 and Squirrel than me going and looking at healthcare.gov and taking it apart. I mean, it's just, just well, it's, assume. It's funny because uh, the, of the four security experts that testified in front of Congress, one said exactly that. Avi Rubin, who we know as one of the great security guys of all time, he's Professor Johns Hopkins, he said, I would need to know whether there are inherent flaws versus superficial problems that can be fixed. If they can be fixed, that's better than shutting it down. He wasn't, he, like you, said, I need to, there's, we, think we aren't getting the information to make any conclusion. Yes, there's possibly cross-site scripting errors. It's certainly possible oh. to fish people and trick them. And uh, some yep. of this, some of this mainstream coverage is simply that, you know, you could get a link in an email that says it's healthcare.gov and it looks like healthcare.gov, but it's not. But that's not that's going to happen with any site, so it's hard to really know. 
Um, and I, I think that... Uh, well, see, and, and that's my point. It's uninteresting to me. It is such a disaster that it, it's uninteresting. It's just like, okay, you know, it's horrible. Yeah. And I'm not blaming anyone. I mean, uh, to me, the, 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 it's, it's horror is nonpartisan. It's horror is a fact. And, and someday they'll get it fixed. Some, I mean, they, 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 now they understand that there's problems. Security is, is like the next thing they're looking at after getting it working. It still has a very pathetic number of total. I just saw the number this morning, twice the, in November as in October, but we're still down at a quarter million, right. which is way shy of seven million that they were like with some benchmark they were hoping for. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I just, it's uninteresting. I mean, what's interesting is something I can get my teeth into. This is just, you know, it's yeah. It is the eight hundred pound gorilla, and I don't want to try to bite it. Well, and there's a lot of non, I mean, a lot of partisan information for the four security experts who testified for Congress. One of them is the former senior law enforcement advisor to the Republican National Convention and a cybersecurity and analyst for Fox News. I have a feeling he has a partisan point of view. Um, a lot of these guys are, in fact, not what I would call. You know, one guy is a former CSO of Diebold. The famous, the famous electronic voting company that had the worst security record of anybody I've ever heard of. So yeah, in I'm this not... situation. In, in this situation, I would say believe the worst that you hear. Assume the worst. And, yeah. Yes, yeah. because we ha- with security, we have to assume the worst. Right. It is as we know. It, it, it's about a a a you know the, the the weakest link in the chain. I can't even begin to imagine the chain. That this thing has. The I problem mean, is a lot of people have to use this. Uh, you know, their employers are are saying, "Hey, we're not going to give you health care or whatever." I mean, the, the the security advice would be just don't use it till they fix it. But a lot of people well, have to. I, w- I mean, if there's ever been a need for making up a new password when you identify <laughs> well, that yourself, one for sure. Do it here. But I presume you've you know, got to give them your social. I mean, you're giving them a lot of information. I don't know if you have to give them your social, but you've got to give them a lot of personal information, including... Yeah, no, for, I mean, it's 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 a it's a catastrophe. It's a disaster. So yeah. I hope I've satisfied any listeners who feel like I was afraid to talk about it. it. It's not at all that I've been afraid to talk about. It's like, where do you start? I mean, you know, we'd like to talk about something else. But if we have to talk about that, it's like... This will become the healthcare.gov disaster from hell podcast. Yeah, assume the worst. I mean, oh, my God, <laughs> yes. Good. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's, it's, not it's good. beyond. It's yeah. like it doesn't even work. So, of course, it's not secure. It has to work before it has a hope or a prayer of being secure. Yeah, it doesn't and, even work. You know, yeah. you know, someday they'll, yeah. they'll do that. Yeah. Uh, and, by the way, uh, Web6121 is pointing out that you don't have to use the website to – sign up you can phone in which is probably a good idea we don't know uh, the how problem well is, secure the databases are but i was going to say the, the problem is they're probably using the website on your behalf maybe they are i when, don't know phone up i don't yeah. know yeah uh we don't know that's that's kind of the the bottom line ron bogner in glendale arizona has some thoughts about 256-bit identifiers Ron says, it amazes me that people who have a problem with 256-bit identifiers do not mind a 10-character username Paired with an eight-character password, and he gives a sample BitTorrent uh, sync secret, which is a very long 
256-bit identifier. Here's a sample username and password, John Doe at yahoo.com, monkey12. Obviously, the 256-bit secret is magnitudes more secure than the password username combination. And that would be true even if you used a random 15-character password instead of something more typical like monkey12. He does some math. We've said this over and over again. I think the issue isn't so much that we don't think it's secure, the fear of collisions. Yes, Yes, and and in fact, that was my math that I added there. Oh, that's um, your math. Oh, all right. Yeah, it was just because I wanted you know I wanted to point out it's it's people assume that two fifty six bits uses eight bytes, but if you use the full character set, you know a byte is two hundred and fifty six characters. Well, first of all, we immediately throw a bit away because we have one hundred and twenty seven characters, but then when you throw all of the uh, I'm sorry, 128 technically, although null is, is invalid, so 127. But then, um, and so that would be seven bits. So you would divide 256 by seven in order to get the number of characters, except that many of those are control characters. And I went over to my own you know, password haystacks page just to remember what the alphabet size was. And if you use all upper, all lowercase alpha all 10 digits, there are 33 typable special characters. So it's a total of a 95-character character set. And one of the neat tricks I've always loved, if you wanted to know, like, how many bits 95 was, because it's an odd number, right? It's not, it's bigger than 64, which is 6 bits, and it's, but it's smaller than 128, which is 7 bits. It's 95. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. Well, it's like, okay, Where? So if you take the log of 95 divided by the log of 2, that <laughs> because 2 as in binary, that, the, that ratio gives you the exact number of bits, binary equivalent, because you're dividing by the log of 2, that 95 is. So it turns out it's 6.5699 bits per character. We're rounded up to 6.57 bits per character. Then you can divide that by 256 bits, which is the actual no amount of entropy possible. And that tells you that it's about 39. It's 38.966 or 39 characters rather than, for example, just 32. So you get actually a bunch more characters when you treat the alphabet correctly. Um, but he's right. Um, the Certainly that's unique. And I think, as you said, Leo, what people are concerned about is collision. And we do have a question we'll probably see next week further on down here that talks about that. How one listener thought we were being a little too glib when we said it's impossible. Because he says, well, it's not impossible. It's like, okay, Spock. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> I believe your logic is flawed. <laughs> so, um, so, but... That does mean that we have to be very careful with randomness because we know that that's a problem. And I think the other thing that makes people uncomfortable is that when you are creating an account somewhere, you put in a username and it says, oh, that username is taken. So you go, oh, okay, well, unfortunately, in the process of being told that, you now know somebody else's valid username and you could then start guessing their password. Um, and, of course, the reason that email is so handy is it's, it is known to be unique. But the only reason it's known to be unique and for you is that you already, somebody else told you that there was already a John Doe at Yahoo.com. That's why you had to go John Doe 
or something to get a unique version of John Doe. So that's it. So the idea is that then then you reuse that everywhere because that's been assigned to you. And that's the way we avoid collisions. So the fact is, with with ex- except for the Spock instance, with really, really high quality random numbers or pseudo random numbers, there there is no practical chance of a collision. There is much higher chance that that you know of anything else in the in, in the universe going wrong than there being a collision of two identities. You know, I mean, your computer could fail. Your power could fail. We talked about the asteroid hitting the Earth. I mean, everything else is going to happen before there's going to be a collision if we choose random numbers carefully. And with their 256 bits long. (laughs) So we are out of time. But I want to read this uh, 11th question because I think that it would be good to address this now. And then we'll put some more uh, questions together for next week. Well, well, I'm going to carry these on to next week. We'll try to get to them. Scott Schramm in Philadelphia says, What about show notes? I love the Security Now podcast. Great topics. Usually after the show, I go to the Twit page, twit.tv slash SN, in search of the links talked about in the show, but the show notes are always non-existent. There is a link to show notes, but it's always blank. (laughs) It seems to be the same with other Twit shows. I cannot find any show notes on the GRC page either. The text transcripts are great, but I don't have time to read that. I'm looking for a short, bulleted list of all the topics mentioned and any links included with those topics. Can you please ask Leo about this? Thanks. Okay, so we need to explain a little bit about how we operate here. Um, uh, You and I get together for two hours and do this and then sort of go our separate ways. Uh, after a few hours, your guys put the audio together. I download it and then uh, and then get it and then shrink it and get it off to Elaine. And then she produces the transcripts, which come back to me. For the last three weeks, I have uh, counting this one as number three. I have been finally for the first time ever posting the show notes on GRC. So if you go to grc.com/sn which is the main Security Now page, you will see now an additional icon in the lineup. There used to just be five, high-quality high, high audio, lower-quality audio, and then the transcript in three forms, text, HTML, and PDF. There's now a sixth one, and it's the third one over. It's after the two audios. looks like it's one of Microsoft's old icons, little cubes tumbling together. That is now a PDF of the show notes that that you and I go through at the beginning of the show. I tweet it before the show because I've had a lot of positive feedback from our real-time, our live listeners saying, hey, it's so fun to be able to follow along, which everyone can now do. So if your guys, Leo, want to do something with the show notes, they're welcome to. But for what it's worth, I will from now on always have them on grc.com. Yeah, and so... I, and this is a terrible thing about everything uh, that we do is that uh, we are highly resource constrained. You know, it probably feels to people like, and I and we've certainly encouraged that that this is a big operation, and you know, we got editors and big studios and stuff. But one thing we don't really do a very good job of, we had hoped to crowdsource show notes, uh, and we don't do a very good job of that. For a while, we did uh, do a pretty good job of keeping the Security Now show notes up to date. I would 
post, I would paste in your notes because you do very good notes of all the hosts. Uh, I think you, Paul Thurot, and Mary Jo Foley do the most complete notes. And it would be, and I should be uh, just putting them on the wiki. So that's why it's a wiki, by the way. It was our hope that people would, who listen to the show regularly, would uh, go on the wiki and, and parse those notes and so forth because I don't have time to do that. And I really had, I haven't even had much time to, I'm busy doing the show, so I don't have time to paste it into the yeah. uh, wiki. And I apologize, I, I slacked off on that. Uh, we should probably have a full-time person doing that. I just can't afford it. And um, it would be probably two full-time positions. So, you know, we're talking well, 100000 a in, year. In fact, yeah. And if you were going to do notes for the other podcasts that didn't, like, generate their well, that's own what notes I mean. it would be in a, order to yeah, drive them, right. that would be, be massively, massively right. labor. We have always yeah. rundowns somewhere. You know, we share rundowns on Google Docs and stuff. And we do our best to put together notes, but I, I understand it's a complete failure. We've never done a very good job, and I apologize. Thank goodness Steve is still is putting his show notes up, and that that that's everything you want. So that to answer that question, it's getting done there. But they're they are always available from now on. There, it is a global failure of mine, and uh, I don't know what uh, to do about. It. Well, well, it's just, you know, maybe there will be something, but at least you can always find them for security now uh, at. You know, at my site. Yeah, thank you. And I will uh, talk to Lisa and see if we can uh, see if we can figure this out. You have to understand, putting hiring a staff person to do this is very expensive. It's not just the salary; it's the benefits; it's all of that. Well, and I can't speak for what the the value of the notes. I mean, I I guess I'm liking that I'm now publishing them because what I used to have to do before is I was like tweeting these links all the time, and I'd be saying, oh, "I just tweeted this link. I just tweeted that link." So to help people who want to to go find it now. You know, this is what drives the podcast. So the notes are there. Anyone who wants to find a link knows where they're going to be. So, but my question would be, do notes really make sense for all of you other podcasts? Are they, you know, going to have stuff in them that people are going to want to find and follow up on? I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, show notes are really important primarily because it makes it easier for a listener, but also it makes it searchable. And that's yes. where your transcriptions are so great. And it's one of the reasons uh, we're going to start doing transcriptions on more shows. We'll talk about that on Inside Twit later today. Um, uh, we're going to pay the money to do that anyway. That's not show notes, though, as, as uh, uh, Scott pointed out. I mean, that's just uh, that's too voluminous. So we've got to figure it out <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> There's so many things I'd like to do, Steve. You know how much it's going to cost? We're redesigning the twit.tv's website, which we redesigned last year, and it's not working. That was $150,000. It's now almost twice that to do it again. It's expensive. <laughs> I wish I had more money. <clears throat> but at least we've got our fine sponsors. At least we've got this great show. And I thank you all for being here. And I especially thank you. We do, Steve, we do this every Wednesday, at least for the next week. Yeah, Two one, weeks. one more. Wait. Two oh, more. Yeah, because Christmas will also be on Wednesday. Yeah. 11 a.m. Yep. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1900 UTC. Then we move to Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 2100 UTC. That'll start January 7th. And uh, I'm the Christmas. Like that, it... Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to like that because it'll give me another two hours to prep. I, <laughs> I work from 5 a.m. until 6 to yeah, get this ready. Yeah, now you can get up at 7. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, or or just be a little less frantic. In the oh, anyway, I really appreciate you're doing that, and uh, I understand that it's uh, 
perhaps for some a deal breaker, but we do make on-demand audio and video always available, and you can listen at any time at your convenience after the fact. And it's got everything we talk about, except for the bad words, which are bleeped, at twit.tv slash sn. Steve has security, has a 16-bit versions at his GRC website, grc.com. He also has a little thing called SpinRite you ought to have if you've got a hard drive, even a solid-state one. I'm, I like this idea. Buy three, spin right all three, keep one. Yep. I yep. like that idea. Exactly. Find find the best of the crew and send the other two back. Yep. yep. Uh, you could do that, too, at grc.com. And if you have more questions for feedback, go to grc.com slash feedback. That's easy to remember. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you next week on Security Now. For Q&A continued. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> a little more.